You're listening to the podcast of The Branch in Ashland, Virginia. Submission isn't a word most of us like to hear, especially when it comes to our own need for submission. But submission was the way of Jesus. He submitted himself completely to the will of the Father, and his trust in the Father's sovereign will allowed him to submit himself to authorities on earth, even evil and abusive authorities. Today, we look at our need to submit to align ourselves with Jesus. I grew up um, the son of a pastor, and I remember Palm Sunday well. I... uh, I don't know, maybe I've cheated the kids of the branch and my own kids by not doing some of the same things that, that I did. I remember, you know, Palm Sunday is this parade that we'd have at church and everyone, you know, first of all, I mean, let's be honest, especially for those of us who are, are were little boys or have little boys, like um, giving palm fronds to kids is probably not always the best idea. I mean, um, you know, they turn into weapons, which most things end up turning into, especially for little boys. But I remember marching and processing into the church and walking down the aisles and everybody's looking at you and you're singing Hosanna in the highest. And, you know, Sam started our, the service with our call to worship reading um, from the Gospels about Jesus's entry into Jerusalem. And, it, you know, some of us may be familiar with that story. I've read it so many times that uh, it's become so familiar to me as Jesus uh, processes into the city of Jerusalem on a, a donkey. You know, Jesus processes on a donkey, not on a, a steed. So he's a king on a, on a donkey, and that was representative of the fact that he came in peace. And, you know, it wasn't until years later, I think, in my own life, in my own life of faith, that, that I started looking at this juxtaposition on, of Holy Week. That we start with Palm Sunday, and it's this high, high mountaintop where Jesus is just being celebrated, and, and the crowds are almost in an excited frenzy, singing Hosanna in the highest, and they're laying down their, their clothes and their cloaks and their laying down the palm fronds, and Jesus is walking up, and it's just a matter of days until things turn. And we go to Good Friday, which the only reason it's good because of what happens on Sunday afterwards, right? But for them, for the disciples, it was probably Bad Friday or Dark Friday or Black Friday, you know, a different kind of Black Friday for them. And we start this week with this celebration of joy, and then by Friday, things have taken a turn, and it, it's death and it's grieving. And everyone seems to be celebrating Jesus, the son of David, when he walks into Jerusalem and he walks out, he walks out as a criminal, naked, beaten, getting ready to be put on a cross. One minute he's a king, the next minute a criminal. And The narrative is a reminder to us that sometimes in order to experience life, there needs to be some kind of death. And in many ways, Holy Week feels like life to me. That we go from these high, high mountains to these low, low valleys, or vice versa. That we go from these low valleys to these high mountains, and sometimes within a matter of days, we we go from one to the other, and we're, we're feeling the tension of that. 
and saying, well, how is it that I was just feeling like I was on top of the world one minute, you know, just days or hours ago, and the next minute I feel like this is the darkest place in the world. We go back and forth throughout life between both of those places and everything in between over and over again. My own sometimes cynical experience has, has told me that moments of ecstasy and excitement and joy, I'm always like looking over my shoulder, wondering like, when's the, when's the hammer going to fall here? You know, even in my own life, you know, I, I lost my mom after a short battle with cancer. And then two months later, my daughter was born. Um, and so there, I had experienced that same thing. And I think if we're all honest, we can probably say that we've experienced a holy week of our own in our own lives. That we've gone from those mountaintop experiences, these moments of joy and ecstasy, and then within minutes or hours or days or months, we experience something more difficult. Jesus entered Jerusalem as the king of the Jews, riding on a donkey, the symbol of peace, not coming in to take over or a conquering king. And in very similar way to how he entered into the world, he enters Jerusalem with this message of peace, just as the angels had said when, when to pronounce his birth, that peace on earth had come. And what we see by the end of the, the week is not a, a king reigning in power from the world's perspective, but one who's submitting himself over to the evil rulers and powers of this world, submitting himself to the unconquerable foe, which was death. The unconquerable foe at that moment. You know, we started a couple of weeks ago looking at Peter's letter to the early church as he wrote to those Jews who were now living in opposition to the culture around them, those who um, were dealing with persecution those who had probably experienced some of those mountaintops and valleys all together. And he told them that they were called out from among the world to live holy lives, that they were being built into a spiritual building, that the temple was not necessarily a physical building anymore, but it was a spiritual building with Christ as the foundation for them, the cornerstone. God's people were chosen and set apart called to be holy, and the church is a spiritual building with Christ as the foundation. And Peter continues his instructions to the early church in 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at chapter 2 and some of chapter 3 as well. If you have a Bible or a device, you can look and follow along. It'll be on the screen as well. And this is what Peter writes to these early believers. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake, to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, 
not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it's commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you are called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in His steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in His mouth. When they hurled their insults at Him, He did not retaliate. When He suffered, He made no threats. Instead, He entrusted Himself to Him who judges justly. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. For you are like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe in the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornments such as elaborate hairstyles, the wearing of gold jewelry, or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands. Like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord, you are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. You know, that's a, a big passage together. I thought it was important for us to keep all those things connected. In the 21st century, I'd gather that some of us buck up against this passage. That we kind of feel like, oh yeah, why are we going there? What's he going to say? Go ahead. Some of you are sitting there with your arms crossed right now just waiting to say, go ahead, what are you going to do? What are you going to say? You know, it's language that seems far from equality, but rather dominance, right? It's important to understand that here Peter and in various passages that Paul wrote to the early church in Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3 as well, that, that he was talking about what's these instructions that have become known as household codes. These codes that were based on, uh, in that culture of the time, Roman patria potestas laws, which was the law that gave the oldest living male in the household the power to exercise autocratic authority over the members of his household. About these codes, New Testament scholar and commentator Dr. Dennis Edwards writes this. He says, The biblical household codes are unique in that they address both those with power and status and at the same time, those who had no such power. Culturally, slaves, women, they were on the outskirts. And these laws that were being given to them, they just addressed the guy who was in charge. They would never take the time or waste the time culturally to have addressed those who were also without power. Edwards goes on to say those in the more vulnerable position should receive greater respect than they would normally otherwise receive outside the church. And those in the more powerful position are given a responsibility to behave more justly. 
Paul, uh, Peter here, and Paul in his passages, he, they give dignity just as Jesus did to those who were on the margins culturally. Speaking directly to them, not just to the powers and authorities, but also to those who have been sometimes abused by those powers and authority. Those in the margin, those who are subordinate. You know, regardless of Peter addressing both these authorities, one thing that as we look at passages like this, um, that we question is why did Peter, why did Paul in his passages never speak anything against the evil of slavery? Especially in our country, we know the history that stands. We know the evils of slavery, and we can say all we want that there were differences between first century slavery and and the the slavery um, that we know in our country, but nonetheless, um, the biblical writers didn't necessarily speak against that. And it's one of those things that, you know, maybe you can add it to your list when you stand before God and say, hey, or hey, Peter, I've got a bone to pick with you. But we know that they did speak to these subservient people, to slaves, to wives, and in Paul's passages, to children as well. And speaking to them, acknowledging them, was giving them worth and value. You know, the reason I think it's important to look at all this passage together is because Peter, when he's addressing everyone, he starts with everyone. And what he is speaking of, this idea of submission, the Greek word which is hupotasso, is a word that means the following. It means to arrange under, to subordinate, to subject, put in subjection. Subject oneself, obey, to submit to one's control, yield to one's admonition or advice, to obey and be subject. Submission is not a word that our culture likes. To submit to someone else means to give up our power, to give up our control. And most of us don't like to do that. I'll be the first one to stand and say, hey, I'm a recovering control freak that doesn't like the idea of submission. And yet, what does Peter say to his audience, to this early church? In verse 12, he says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And his stronger words in verse 15, he reminds these early believers that living in such a way to be submissive to authorities and powers is living such good lives with good le- deeds that he says pretty strongly that will silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. And so we may buck up against this idea of submission. We may not like it. Our culture might like it. But we're called to do this so that we can influence those around us so that they can see Jesus in us because ultimately, submission points to Jesus. Show respect to everyone, Peter says in verse 17. Honor the emperor and authorities. Again, if we think to where, what they were hearing, we may say, well, they never had so-and-so for a president or for a governor or for a congressperson. I can't think that, you know, Caesar was uh, a walk in the park for them. 
so we can sit here 2,000 years later all we want and say, well, you know, they don't know what we have to go through. Regardless of whether or not we vote for someone, we still honor and respect them. Well, that's a hard pill to swallow. Many in our country would say no. They'd say no. But as followers of Christ, the way that I read this is like, it doesn't matter whether we voted for someone or not. Somehow or another, God has allowed them to be there, whether they're a knucklehead or not. Somehow or another, God who's supreme over all things, has somehow allowed that to happen. Oftentimes we look and say, well, they don't deserve this, or they're not worthy of this. I get it. But Peter is giving us different instructions and saying that we need to submit ourselves to the authority that God has placed over us His words to slaves here that they should submit in verse 18 not only to those who are good and considerate and kind, but to those who are harsh. Because again, when we bear up under pain and hardship, Peter says, we align ourselves with Jesus who experienced similarly. But what of injustice that we see around us? What of slavery? What of abuse of power? What of laws that are put into place that are, are, are not good, that are unjust? Does this mean we don't act up against injustice? No, I don't think so. I think we, we can go back again into the, the history of the United States and we can point to those in the civil rights movement. Martin Luther King Jr. and Rosa Parks and so many others who, yes, they submitted themselves to the authorities, but they also bucked up when some of those laws that the authorities were putting out were unjust. They didn't do it with violence. We look through Scripture, we can see similarly. We look back to the book of Daniel, and we can see Daniel and his friends who were, who were pulled out of their own home and culture and thrust into this foreign place And they were bucking up against rules that were in direct opposition to who they were as followers of the one true God. And although they submitted to the authority of those who were over them, to Nebuchadnezzar, who I can't imagine was a walk in the park either, they, they still said, but we're not going to bow down. We're not going to pray. To you, we're going to remain faithful to the God who serves us. And I love even the words of Daniel's friends that when they know that their fate may be sealed, and they say, hey, we trust God that He's going to save us, but even if He doesn't, we're still not going to do it. And Peter says that when we suffer like this, we suffer like Jesus. Suffering, look, we do our best to buck up against suffering. You know, for how often in Scripture that we are called, especially as followers of Christ, to liken ourselves to Jesus by by partnering with Him in suffering, I'm always astounded at how hard it is for the church to allow themselves to suffer or to call things suffering that aren't really suffering. 
things that aren't nearly uh, as, as egregious as the suffering that Jesus suffered on our behalf, that suffering that we celebrate this time of year. If we think about submitting ourselves to authorities, especially corrupt and unjust authorities, think about what Jesus did. Jesus was able to submit himself to all authorities. Why? He was able to submit himself to authorities that he probably didn't like, he didn't vote for, who didn't treat him well. Here he was being beaten. He still submitted himself because he understood that all authority came from God in heaven. Because the God who is his Father was sovereign over all things. Do we believe in the authority and sovereignty of God the Father? If not, none of this will make sense. It won't make any sense to us at all. But if we do, it's, it's a hard pill to swallow but we can swallow it because of our theology, because of who we know God to be. Because we know Him to be sovereign. What would have happened had Jesus not submitted to the authority of the Father? He was given the opportunity. Even the people who hurled insults at Him said, if you're the Son of God, then come down off that cross. Jesus could have called angels to rescue him, but would he have been submitting to the will of the Father? No. And where would we be? Making sacrifices the way the Old Testament people of God were. Sacrifices that weren't once for all. Sacrifices that we continued to have to make. Is it possible that when we find ourselves in a position where we need to submit ourselves to unjust authorities, that God might have a plan that we can't see or are unaware of? That that when God's allowed through His sovereignty and authority to allow other people to be in authority positions that maybe somehow in our submission to them, that we're not pointing to ourselves, we're not even pointing to whoever the knucklehead is who's in charge, but we're pointing to the authority of God the Father, the one who's sovereign over all things. Jesus didn't retaliate. He didn't make threats, Peter said. He didn't tell Pilate, you're not my governor. I'm walking away. No, Jesus' words to Pilate in John 19, verse 11, are so powerful. He said, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. You see, Jesus understood where authority and power and sovereignty lie. All authority and power is given by God. Even if that authority and power is abused, and we see that in Romans 13 as well. Another pill to swallow, we ask, God, why would you give power to such fools? to such evil people, to such who would use and abuse it. Maybe God gives power to those who abuse it to remind us that there's still an authority that's greater than all the other ones who abuse and misuse power. Is it possible that some people are given authority to point us towards the one who has supreme authority over all things? And when we read the Old Testament law, 
we look at it and we say, how in the world can we keep that law? The whole purpose of the law was not so that we could keep it, but to point us to the one who would and who would fulfill it. Peter tells them in verse 16, live as free people. Don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. We submit ourselves and enslave ourselves to God. And, and again, it lies in direct opposition to a culture that says, me, me, mine, I'm free. Don't you dare confine me. I think we look at the abuse of power and authority around us and we project that onto God. And say, because you've done this to me, then surely the God who I'm serving is going to do the same thing. Dr. Edwards, in his commentary on this passage, he he says it must be seen, however, that Peter gives absolutely no validation of heart treatment by slave masters. Peter, when he says, enslave yourselves to God, he's not encouraging slavery on earth. He's saying, be connected and be submitted to the authority of God. His advocacy of non-retaliatory behavior is not an endorsement of slavery. It's also not an indication of the weakness of slaves either. Peaceful submission to even the harshest of masters is evidence of genuine Christian faith. Let me read that again because I think it's important for us. The submission to even the harshest of masters is evidence of genuine Christian faith. The point is to grasp what Christ-like behavior looks like in one of the most difficult situations imaginable. Slaves, though in a horrible, unenviable position, have the peculiar honor of serving as living examples of what Jesus is like and modeling those values that are important to God. If we're to submit ourselves to evil and unjust authorities as evidence of genuine Christian faith, how much more should we submit ourselves to the loving and just authority of God? Trusting that he's not going to use, misuse, abuse power. That he's the perfect master that when we enslave ourselves, as Peter says, that we're trusting him in this. We're not condoning evil behavior, but we're saying that even those who are, are prone to that evil behavior, who are placed in positions of authority, that even those are under the authority of God. Just as Jesus said to Pilate, you wouldn't be given the power you have had it not been given to you from God our Father. It's a hard thing. But when we submit ourselves to these authorities, we align ourselves with Jesus. We experience a little bit of what He experienced. And so what do we do with all this? Ask ourselves a few questions. First of all, are we submitting ourselves to the authorities over us? Again, we've got examples in Scripture, we've got examples in our own history of, of peaceful demonstrations against unjust laws. But are we saying, hey, you know what, you're not my governor, you're not my president, you're not my congressman or whatever. 
Are we saying, you know, somehow, I don't know how, my mind is blown here by the fact that somehow God let you be where you are. Are we praying for those people that we don't agree with, that we didn't vote for? Are we saying, somehow God let you there, so I'm going to be praying that maybe you'll see the light. Are we submitting ourselves to the Father? Are we saying, God, I believe in your sovereignty. You know, we can throw that theological term around all we want, that that God is sovereign, that he's in control and in authority over all things, but when the chips come down, do we really believe it? Do we say, okay, I'm submitting myself to you, Father, because I feel like you've given power and authority to everybody else. They're all subservient to you. And then finally, are we enslaved to God? Do we trust that when we submit ourselves and inevitably have to face difficulty and trial, that we're aligning ourselves with Jesus as we walk through this Holy Week and we are reminded and remember what Jesus did for us? Do we trust that He did that for a purpose? That God is purposeful in what He does in His sovereignty and authority. And that ultimately we can point people to Jesus even when we submit ourselves to them. Even when, maybe especially when, we deal with difficult rulers and authorities over us. Let me pray for us. God, we believe that your word is inspired, that it's authoritative, and yet there are times that we come to passages and we don't like it. (laughs) And we struggle and we wonder how we do it, and the answer is we don't, but through your power and grace in our lives. Thank you, Jesus, for your example to us of submission to authorities that were abusive, that were unjust. Thank you for the gift that we receive, that we celebrate even at this table. Remind us that you're in control, Father. Remind us that you have supreme authority and power. And God, thank you for joining us in our submission to you and the powers that you've allowed over us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How are we submitting ourselves to God? Do we trust in his sovereignty even when we can't see it? Remember that submitting ourselves to God allows us to be like Jesus, even when that submission is to authorities and powers that don't always seem aligned to God. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at thebranchashland at gmail.com. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, give us a review, and share with your friends and family. Thanks for listening. See you next time.